the Daily Mail, across China, wet markets are reopening and selling the same animals they did before. In the city of Guilin, dogs and cats, dogs and cats are both for sale as food. In Duanguan, a stand selling traditional Chinese medicines advertises things like lizards, scorpions, and yes, bats. Again, we have known for more than a decade that wet markets are a diseased time bomb. This is not the first virus to emanate from them. But it looks like even after a global crisis, China continues to threaten the rest of us with wet markets. Ew. Its name is so terrible. It is. Can we call it Chinese fresh markets or Chinese fresh? Or the Mitoteria or something? <laughs> God, pile of dead beasts is a better name than wet markets. Yuck! Oh, dead beasts. Although they keep them alive till you buy them. That's the thing. They snuff them right there in front of you. So you know they're kitchen fresh. Chinese wet market fresh. So gross. God, I was just looking at the numbers of Macy's. Is it 138,000 they're laying off? Had the uh, Cheesecake Factory at their 40,000. Coles with tens of thousands. All across America. All these people. Uh, a lot of people we know in the radio industry who are uh, furloughed. You don't get a paycheck, but you keep your insurance. The idea your is your health care. Yeah, the the insurance. I, the idea is that you get to come back to work when things get better. Is that what the theory? Yeah, you're is? still an employee. You're, you're still hired, hired, but you don't get paid. You're furloughed, correct? And the getting paid part is one of my favorite parts of having a job. I top mean, two ranks right way up to the top. Top two. Yeah. Yep. Number one would be the free massages we get. Here, work a little deeper there, would you, Sean? There we My go. hands are tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting cramped. Where's Sleeve Boy? Perhaps he could relieve you. Sleeve Boy? We haven't seen Sleeve Boy. Sleeve Boy's been furloughed? Oh, Sleeve Boy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that, that leads us into the conversation of are we overreacting or not? That That's a tough call. That's a really, really tough call. Yeah, I've been reading some serious uh, economic analysis of this thing and the shutdown and the quarantining and everything. And I don't want to freak you all out, but it ain't no joke. I'll just say that. Okay. It's this will leave a mark. There's a lot. I mean, it, I remember after the 08 crash, nobody bought cars until people started buying cars again. Then they made up for the cars they didn't buy, but nobody's doing that with burritos or, or, or scrambled eggs or, you know, anything in the, the food trade or groceries or whatever. Um, the food doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Um, so it's pretty serious. And nobody's quite sure. This is an experiment. Nobody's quite sure where it's going to end or, or what damage it's going to do. Got a, a really good note from uh, Al Anonymous, uh, who's a scientist and is proud to be an essential worker like ourselves. Um, and, and says, for what it's worth... Uh, He's been enjoying the show during this troubled period because, you know, we try to engage in sound reasoning as many facts, as you know, sprinkled with a fair dose of respect for the coronavirus. But what I like most about your comments is not the fear of the virus, but fear of the people who are taking control of our lives. You guys talked about it, that when people become afraid, they're likely to trust anyone to help. Um, Yeah. And then he gets to his, his point. He was born uh, in Texas in 1958 just after the first polio vaccine was widely distributed. Um, and, and he talked to his dad a lot about it. And, and you have to go back a, a generation or, or three um, to have firsthand knowledge of polio. 
But he says, my dad was a medical doctor, and when I was old enough, he told me about how kids he knew when he was growing up just suddenly got sick. And unlike the flu that wasn't picky about who infected, uh, polio seemed to prefer to hit affluent people. Um, but my dad never talked about how the USA stopped working, much less the world. I can tell the stories my dad told me about his childhood growing up, swimming in the Houston bayous, kissing girls, other shenanigans he claims he did. He didn't worry about, he wasn't worried about getting the disease. Uh, that, to my way of thinking, he had a much more notorious reputation. Um, I'm not good at spouting statistics, but you can look it up. Polio often killed tens of thousands of people over a year's time. In fact, it killed 58,000 in New York City, City during one epidemic outbreak. Wow. I did not know that. Um, and those who didn't die were usually left with a disability or their in their legs or respiratory systems. No one told the U.S. citizens to stay home. No one was afraid to do their jobs. They just worked. I will tell you this, that during that particular outbreak, um, the vast majority of New Yorkers kept their kids home because it was so terrifying. Um, but he says... Uh, is that a different... Uh, is that a significant difference, though? People keeping their kids home or people not opening up their businesses as opposed to not being allowed to? Sure. Of course, yeah, absolutely it is. And and our friend uh, Tim on his personal, Tim Sandifer, on his personal Twitter account, which does not necessarily uh, represent the views of his employer, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, has posted a couple of articles making the argument that, in the words of the, uh, the JP, the Jer- Jerusalem Post, it's time to end this misguided social experiment and get back to work. They say, we're not denying there's great merit to social distancing. Um, then they characterize this as a social, grand social experiment being conducted without our informed consent. Uh, then they talk about the rules of social science experiments, and I'm not sure that applies. I'm not sure it's a very powerful argument. Uh, but then they move on um, to, unfortunately, uh, the current experiment that is being conducted on us, supposedly by democratic governments throughout the world, follow none of the principles of ethics, blah, blah, blah. Moreover, it's been designed by unelected public officials, the same officials who failed in their duty to protect us from the virus. I don't think that's a very good argument. I mean, if a profoundly, if, if a, a serial killer comes into town, it's the old West, and the bank's on fire, and he says, I think we ought to form a bucket chain. That's still a good idea, even if, you know, he has his sins. So I'm not buying the whole, you know, the CDC screwed up, so we can't believe them now. That's just not a powerful argument. You have to address the argument, which they get on to doing. Um, such a single-minded, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this is a uh, key. Therefore, we are allowing the unit responsible for government failure to give advice on how to solve a problem that is in large part their fault. These officials also seem to have a single goal in mind, reducing the number of individuals who contract the virus. Such a single-minded approach is not consistent with an appropriate cost-benefit analysis of the consequences of their proposed actions. The other pernicious force at play in this multifaceted strategy is a crazed media. We're going to hit you with a term you need to know. I'd never heard it before, but it's a good one. The crazed media has sensationalized the spread of the virus and vastly overestimated the damage the virus could create. For example, media outlets constantly refer to Italy, which is clearly an outlier along many dimensions, pressuring policymakers to lock down the entire economy. This dangerous interplay between the media and policymakers has been termed an availability cascade by Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman. Wow, that sounds like something I need to know about. An availability cascade. Yeah, can I explain what that is in a minute or two, right after the break? 
Because once he describes, I mean, I don't know why academics have to come up with some fancy pants terms. But once he describes it, you'll think, oh, my God, that is what's happening. Hmm. Yeah, so get hip to the the concept of an availability cascade uh, coming up in moments or two, uh, a moment or two, I should say. Well, since you just mentioned, um, you know, Tim lives in Arizona, and uh, Arizona is one of the states where they're not locking down. Um, I think they just announced they are. Oh, really? Look, Google that because this story is from last night. But that's interesting. He was getting a lot of pressure. Governor Ducey, is that how you say? Governor Doug Ducey? That's one way to pronounce it, depending on how you think of him. Right. That's all I'm saying. Um, I'm saying. I'm just saying. As of last night, Arizona has not rolled out any statewide coronavirus lockdown measures and what some panicked residents are slamming is a huge sick experiment. Uh, I hate it when they quote somebody like that. You could also quote plenty of people in Arizona, I'm sure, who would say, I think this isn't a reasonable reaction since we don't have much coronavirus here. Thank God the governor's doing it. That'd to be quote our, our previous discussion in what is a reasonable balances of costs and benefits. The Grand Canyon right. State is among That's 10 crappy states. crappy journalism. Jeez. The Grand Canyon State is among 10 states that have no shelter-in-place measures. And here's an interesting part of it. Governor of Arizona prohibited cities and counties from issuing, issuing their own lockdown orders. No city or county could say, hey, you got to stay home. He didn't want it happening in his state. Though he did shut down libraries and schools throughout the state, he's allowed non-essential businesses to keep their doors open. Yeah, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey issues statewide stay-at-home order. <clears throat> and when did that hit? Uh, 17 hours ago. Wow. Check so, your local uh, So I wonder if he succumbed to, succumbed to the, uh, you know, the pressures uh, from, I don't know, from who? Uh, maybe from residents. I maybe don't know. it's just the latest number of cases. He thought, all right, now's the time. Could be. But that uh, that availability cascade concept, I want to explain that to you. It's so interesting and so familiar to all of us who consume modern media. Coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. New York's hospitals are already stretched thin, which is why yesterday, and it is shocking to see, the city began setting up a field hospital for coronavirus patients in Central Park. The Central Park Hospital is just like a regular hospital, except after your doctor treats you, you really should put a dollar in his guitar case. It's just nice. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yes. I got to get used to the no uh, live audience. So they get a six. Oh, yeah, it. I yeah. wait for the laugh, and it I, never I, comes. I like it better. It never comes, Jack. They got a sixty-eight. The veteran. laughter never comes. <laughs> oh, you should like do some, like like if sending the clowns isn't schmaltzy enough for you. Like that song would be next. You should do one of those home concerts that you do online, so people can watch it. I've actually considered it, but. Um, so the, yeah, they quickly reconsidered it. They got a 68 bed emergency field hospital in Central Park, but that thousand bed floating hospital rolled up to the pier yesterday with people crammed along the dock to watch it, probably giving each other the corona. So it was oh, kind of self defeating in a way. Oh boy. Welcome and then to New York. And this one thing before Joe tells us something that's going to make us smarter. Yes. A New Jersey woman got charged with violating the state's stay-at-home order after she went outside to throw a Molotov cocktail at her boyfriend's house. Well, <laughs> I feel like there's a couple things she could have been uh, fined or arrested for there. 
Ah, boy. There's just certain kinds of people. As we're all learning from Tiger King, there are certain kinds of people that just have a slew of life problems they bring upon themselves. Did you hear about that uh, choir in the Seattle area where they thought about it for a while and went ahead and had a big rehearsal on March the 10th? And now dozens of the members have the COVID-19 and two are dead. So stinging makes it worse. Actually, it does. Yeah, I believe that. Because you're projecting. Projecting, exactly. And breathing a lot and bellowing. Um, So we're we're going through this article from the Jerusalem Post, which is making, uh, if you don't know the jpost.com, it's it's a solid conservative, like free enterprise-y take on, on things. But... There's an opinion piece in it essentially saying, look, this this giant experiment is a mistake, and we need to get to work. We need to fire up the economy again. And and again, I'm not sure where I stand on this. I'm, I'm still weighing it, and I spent virtually all day Saturday reading the, the varying opinions and came away with it, came away from it more confused than I went in. So if you're looking at us for being some sort of leading light of clarity, well, look elsewhere. <laughs> of the whole thing in general, specifically the economic stuff. The weather to get the economy going back again. How much sheltering in place should we be doing? I just, I don't know. And I'm trying as hard as I can to figure it out to form a cogent and solid opinion. But. Tucker's argument that you can't listen to just the doctors or just right. the business owners right. is clearly true. Right. So anyway, in uh, this piece, they're explaining the availability cascade, which is a term uh, coined by Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman. An availability cascade is a self-sustaining chain of events which may start from media reports of a relatively minor event and lead up to public panic and large-scale government action. On some occasions, a media story about a risk catches the attention of a segment of the public which becomes aroused and worried. This emotional reaction becomes a story in itself. Okay. People fear the coronavirus. You talk to a man on the street, this man is very afraid. I don't think I've ever been this afraid in my whole life. Like that quote you threw in uh, for the Arizona article, right? Um, prompting additional coverage in the media, which in turn produces greater concern and involvement. The cycle is sometimes sped along deliberately by availability entrepreneurs, individuals or organizations who work to ensure a continuous flow of worrying news. It's what we're always telling you about the freaking mainstream media. They traffic in conflict and fear, and if there isn't any, they make it up. What did you call those people? Something entrepreneurs? Uh, availability entrepreneurs. Interesting. Individual. Uh, blah, blah. The danger is increasingly exaggerated as the media compete for attention-grabbing headlines. Scientists and others who try to dampen the increasing fear and revulsion attract little attention, most of it hostile. Anyone who claims that the danger is overstated is suspected of association with, quote, a heinous cover-up. The issue becomes politically important because it is on everyone's mind, and the response of the political system is guided by the intensity of public sentiment. The availability cascade has now reset priorities. Other risks and other ways that public resources could be applied for the public good have all faded into the background. And that's a pretty good description of what we're doing today. Um, And they point out that the vast majority of people who contract this thing, uh, it's non-fatal. It's it's at least 99% at this point, they think. Um, keeping in mind that the flu kills about a tenth of 1% of the people who get it. If this was five times worse than the flu, it would be half a person out of 100 that gets it, which is still a hell of a number. I mean, if, if uh, 20 million people get it. Um, it's a laudable goal, but the consequences of government's proposed cure for society may be much worse than the consequences of the disease they are trying to prevent. 
Well, I'm I'm depends on if your wife dies of it, I suppose, or yeah. somebody else's wife. I'm completely on board with not having basketball games and all these different things where you get giant groups of people together. Uh, probably because move. most basketball players are black. Probably, <laughs> probably concerts, Hello. probably concerts, movie theaters, but right. all the other businesses. Uh, I, I, why do they have to be shut? I, I just don't understand. So we practice the social distancing. But let them be open. Yep. And for God's sake, get masks to every air-sucking homo sapien in the country. Why does a car dealership <clears throat> got to be shut down? Yeah. I can think of a whole bunch of different examples. Well, golf courses are shutting down. You just, you're, you're 75 yards from people, never mind six feet. People are in separate carts. Uh, they go on to say, we're not denying that there's great merit to social distancing. We're not opposed to the adoption of this practice on a voluntary basis and other less costly methods of disease prevention, including massive testing and increased government expenditures for the emergency production of ventilators and hospital space. However, the mandatory aspects of this grand social experiment must be immediately abolished across the world, and we should adapt adopt a more targeted approach by allocating resources to those areas of each country that are most affected by this disease. In the meantime, we call on all business owners and citizens who care about economic liberty and personal freedom to rise up and demand that politicians lift all bans on commerce. Let us Mm. get back to work. Yeah, and it gets back to weeks ago when we were first talking about this. How many of these decisions were made by academics who've never had to pay rent or an electric bill in their lives? Right. And never had to make a payroll, never had to lay anybody off. It's worth asking. Well, this is a coming-of-age video for sure. If you listen to the video in the background, Mom is absolutely challenging her son's manhood as they ask their kid to go kill his first spider. He's using a poker chip, so there's a lot going on in this house. Killing of spiders using poker chips. The kid's a little bit scared. That's fine. Uh, raise your hand if, if you're not scared uh, of killing a spider. And, uh, yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Just press the Kleenex against the wall. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Funny. Hey, there's one more reason to have semi-gloss paint. You got flat paint, you snuff a bug, yep. you, well, you might have Very a reminder true. of it for the rest of your days. Very true. Um, a little home care tip from old Carpenter Joe. And the uh, the poker chip reminded me of a tweet I saw over the weekend. Who kills a spider with a poker chip? A child. A child who doesn't know what they're doing. You <laughs> uh, child? Kenny Rogers day, died like the day before this all exploded. And the tweet was, you gotta admit it, dude knew when to fold them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, this is a little heavy, but uh, a, a guy I was friendly with and knew and thought highly of passed suddenly, unexpectedly, just before all this hits. And I keep thinking, man, what would he think? Or what? how how odd to have, it's just, it's the nature of life. As Christopher Hitchens put it so brilliantly and sadly, um, it's not, it's not that you have to leave the party. It's knowing on that the, it's knowing that the party is going to go on after you're gone. Yeah. The expression, the party's over. No, the party's not over. The party will continue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, life's for better or worse. And there's no such thing as a happy ending. It's all about when you roll the credits Mm. on any story. Yeah. And, uh, 
So where are we on this one? I don't know. Right, right. So, man, uh, a lot of folks weighing in via the email and and brilliantly, thought-provokingly great experiences from around the world and around the country. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, just got this note, and if you get, if you receive via the airwaves the award-winning fourth hour of the Armstrong and Getty Show, you can look forward to this. If not, go to armstrongandgetty.com and grab the podcast. We uh, have our own website? Uh, we do. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> There are eight-year-old children who have their own website these days. I mean, it's not it's not that big an achievement. Uh, but, uh, guys, sir, we're going to be talking about this a great deal more next hour. But, guys, surgical tech here. If you are in the hospital, the surgical tape mask that you see the doctors wearing in a surgery, you know, uh, video or in real life or movie or whatever, it just protects people from you. It won't stop the virus from coming into your nose or mouth. If you're worried, though, the N95 mask will help block the virus as well as protect others from you. Absolutely undeniable. we got more on that next hour, this ongoing debate of, uh, well, it's not really even much of a debate anymore. But we're, it's not. We're still being told by a lot of experts that wearing a mask really doesn't help. No, it's a strategy. Fact, it to might, pres- it yeah. might do more harm than good. It's so. fraud. It's absolutely fraudulent. But the N95 masks do have to be fitted properly. In the medical field, we have fit testing every year, and they burn smoke by our face. I've heard other methods, but to see if we can smell it. If you can smell it, it's not working. It's not fit properly. So you want to make sure that your mask is fitting properly. Have some kind of foul odor near it. Uh, I don't know why it has to be foul. How about it can be pleasant? Yeah. An aggressive What's, scent. What, what, no, <laughs> this must be difficult. Justin, why? why so negative? Anyway, if you can smell it, it's not working properly or not fit properly. So that's how you know. That's a good tip. But even if you pinch it around your nose and shave, you got to smell it. You got to shave. Obviously, there'd be an advantage to having it on correctly. But I'm sure even if there are gaps, it would still be better than not wearing it. Clearly. It's impossible that it wouldn't be. Clearly. And I also don't quite understand the argument of uh, different kinds of masks. No, it only helps you. Well, if we all might have it and we don't know it. Why wouldn't we all wear them so we're not breathing on others? If I'm not breathing on you, you're not breathing on me, and right. some of us can't breathe in, it sure seems like it would flatten the curve a hell of a lot faster. Well, as A, we've all been told, many people are asymptomatic. Right. And B, I have the constitution of a bull moose, so I, maybe I'm one of them. Absolutely, that's a sensible precaution if you're going out into the public or, or in a crowded place. I was at the Walgreens picking up medicine. Mm-hmm. Walgreens, the, the the pharmacy there, by definition, there are sick people coming in and out. I was the only person in the place with a mask on. Mm. Felt a little weird, actually. Yeah. But so pe- people aren't wearing them very much. So Pat in the hood writes, it doesn't say which hood, just the hood. I think for the health and safety of all. Oh, hey, Hanson, you have that uh, thing we talked about ready? Oh, this thing. is Pat's idea. I think for the health and safety of all Americans, ambulances carrying COVID patients should have a very special siren featuring Cardi B in a loop. Coronavirus! 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 Right. Coronavirus! Right. They'd be rolling down the street, and you'd know to stay away. I wonder how long we'd have to play this before the entire crew. And audience became homicidal. Before we don't have any listeners? Come on. Like, how long would we have <laughs> to play it? There is a way to measure that. We'd find out we went to zero. Getting close. <laughs> Getting close. Turn it off. Turn it off. It's horrible. Can you turn it off? Okay. What are you, Deef? Turn yes, it off. Yes, Sean. When the host says turn it off, you turn it off. <laughs> Flattening the curve of our listeners. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez, I about got homicidal myself. This from a Ken in North Carolina. 
That seeped into my brain in a weird way. I can't like get rid of it. It's still echoing in my brain. I know. I got that so odd. I can still hear it. Two months. <laughs> Transition music, Michael. <laughs> Something's wrong. This will clear me out. This is different, communists. It's like a brain enema clearing out my brain. You can feel a little pressure. Jack's doing the dance. This is great. (laughs) I wish y'all were here. If you've never seen the video, it's fantastic. Oh, whoops. Sorry, wrong note. All right, turn it off. Turn it off. (laughs) So we get this note from Ken in North Carolina. Guys, two months ago, Pelosi was calling Trump a racist for banning Chinese flights to flatten the curve. Oh, he's, he's writing about the fact that Nancy Pelosi has been making the rounds on the news this morning, just lambasting Trump and saying his delays were deadly. His mishandling was deadly. I heard her on MSNBC on the way in this morning. Anyway, two months ago, Pelosi was calling Trump a racist for banning Chinese flights to flatten the curve. One month ago, she was in Chinatown telling people to come on down. I have that tape. She said quite explicitly um, that, no, you don't need to worry. Don't be racist. Come on down and enjoy Chinatown. You know, de Blasio did the same thing in New York for the Chinese New Year. That's right. two big cities with a heavy Chinese population that were saying, this is overblown. Come on out. Enjoy the Chinese New Year. Exactly. Two weeks ago, she was delaying the stimulus with all her pork and socialist programs. This week, her $35 million request ended up being $25 million to the Kennedy Center with her daughter as a board member. I didn't know that. No. And the Kennedy Center immediately fired their people anyway. And the Kennedy Center is donating $5 million to the DNC. Now, I have not independently verified this. Oh, if that turns out to be true, that's too much. As you guys might say, disgusting. If that happens, money being fungible, then taxpayers just donated $5 million to the DNC. Yeah, we got to nail down whether that's true. I will dig into that. That can't be true. There's no way that's true. That'd be too much. That's not too much. too much. Too much for you. Meanwhile, the president's ratings are the highest ever, and the mainstream media is the lowest at 16%. It's a good point. Uh, for all our railing, your railing, discussed to the mainstream media, I think they're about getting what they deserve, which is always a treat when that happens. I do enjoy a little justice. Frontier justice, mostly. Let's see. How about one more before we go for a break? Uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times because I love it so much. JT and Livermore saying, uh, if looters can be shot, what about politicians? Now, he's not calling for anybody to shoot a politician. No violence ever. But he says, is there a fundamental difference between looters and whatever it is you'd call a politician who takes the opportunity to loot the public treasury by inserting non-emergency spending riders in an emergency spending bill? Asking for a friend. That's an excellent question, JT. Hey, on the topic- If only we had more than two parties in this derned country. On the topic we were discussing of uh, whether or not we're overreacting and shutting down the economy the way we have, um, and I don't know the answer to that. If I were uh, king of the world, we would have shut down all the big big events, basketball games, movie theaters, that makes sense (laughs) to me, but... Like, I got a number of friends who have businesses that aren't deemed essential. I don't know why they can't be open and just have 
customers go in like one at a time and do the social distancing. Right. They're not high volume like businesses. How about insurance companies? Yeah. How instance. about radio ranches? Uh, but anyway, uh, somebody texted Dr. Sanjay Gupta was making the point that opioid overdoses at their peak were killing 170 people in the U.S. every day. I mean, how how far were we willing to go to shut down the economy or or do anything to stop that? That's not contagious, though. Not contagious is a very good point. Or is it? But no, uh, but, no it's not. <laughs> but uh, people weren't really willing to. There was no movement to move mountains of any kind or donate tremendous amount of funding to stop that from happening. Yeah, I guess the contagious of... part of it is what. Yeah, I guess as long nobody... as you feel like I can avoid it if yeah. I want to. Well, and there is a blamelessness about a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You can blame somebody for being an opioid addict, maybe not appropriately, but that's the way human maybe beings are. Maybe you started working at a tiger park and for instance, married him and his other boyfriend. After your second limb was gone, you got hooked on the painkiller. <laughs> your rich husband's an ass, so you just decide, well, there are all sorts of things that uh, t- can Tigers got to eat. You lost both legs in a skydiving accident and then went to work at the Tiger Park. Oh, we got this one note. Whoa. We got a note from a guy who was listening to us talk about Tiger King and thought we said mockumentary. He thought it was being no, acted. No. And he thought, my God, these are the best actors on the planet. No, that's... no, no sir. No. I can see. I can see how you would think that because... There's just too much going on. There are too many angles to this. And these people are rather cartoonish, a lot of them. Certainly, well, I don't, you know, it's funny. It depends on your life experience. I've lived among some people kind of like that. Really? See, I, I, was t- I, was telling, uh, I was telling Laura, I was telling my wife, I'd, I've never known people like this. I've, I don't think I've ever known anybody that would fall for one of these cults. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I've I read a ton about cults at one point when I was taking a class on it. But um, rock and roll took me to some really interesting places, playing in bands for, like, my entire life. It, you know, you'd meet a musician. He was really talented. Um, then you'd find out he was from the wrong side of town. Then you'd find out he, you know, he enjoyed the heroin a little bit. And then you'd meet his friends. And then you'd go to a park, a party at a trailer park, and the rest of it. And you would run into some really colorful folk. Um, well, and so, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's not like I've hung around tiger sex cultists. But. Well, one thing about cults, always true, always about sex, always about getting some. The leader always gets serviced by yeah. young women. Yeah, it might be Always. religion, it might be tigers, it might be who knows Yoga what it is. Or whatever. Yeah, space yeah. aliens. At the at the end of the day, the the cult leader is always getting plenty of sex from a whole bunch of really damaged human beings. Plenty of wick dippage oh, every time. Yeah. That, yeah. that factors in. When uh, when uh, Tiger King married those two dudes, neither one of those dudes looked very happy that that was happening. Like, hey, I was okay with you. I don't know about that other guy now. It's just, what's, what's this? The one guy's thinking, <laughs> I'm way better than him. And the other guy's thinking, I miss my teeth. <laughs> so everybody was unhappy. <laughs> oh, too bad. Because a, a gay thruple is supposed to be such a joyous occasion. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There are now over 700,000 confirmed coronavirus infections around the world, with the United States now reporting the highest number of cases. 
while Italy and Spain are reporting the highest fatalities per day. And as the threat has grown, more and more countries are starting to take this thing more seriously. For instance, the largest city in Africa, Lagos, in Nigeria, is now in lockdown. And in Russia, they've put Moscow in lockdown as well. And let me tell you something, my friends. When Russians are scared of something, then you know it's serious. Russian people's daily lives look like an episode of Fear Factor. <laughs> That's true. Um, North Korea insists it has no recorded cases of coronavirus. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> so that means they're not recording them. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt they keep track of you died of starvation. You died of not getting uh, any medicine for a, a cut on your hand that turned into an effect- infection. You murdered somebody. Um, they know who they executed, but yeah. beyond that, probably not a lot of documentation. Yeah, they there. know the cause of death. No, that was execution. And no recorded cases. Just because he didn't record them, that's not true. So headline... Remember, we, we read with some authority that the first case discovered they executed him. Just to make sure that he wouldn't spread it. Guy who came home from China. China! Uh, they're autocrats. For autocrats and others, coronavirus is a chance to grab even more power. Let's look at countries around the world and what they're doing in this crisis. Let's look at Nancy Pelosi. In Hungary, the prime minister can now rule by decree. In Britain, ministers have what critics have called eye-watering power to detain people in closed borders. Uh, Israel's prime minister has shut down courts and begun an intrusive surveillance of citizens. Chile has sent the military to public squares that were occupied by government protesters before this started. Bolivia has postponed elections. All around the world, people are doing different things. Maybe some of them you agree with, maybe some of them you don't. I brought you the video that Mark from Uganda sent that the troops went out and were firing machine guns in the air to clear the streets once the decree was given. People were running in terror to their homes. In Israel, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has authorized his country's internal security agency, agency to track citizens using a secret trove of cell phone data developed for counterterrorism. They're going to turn it on this. By tracing people's movements, the government can punish those who defy isolation orders with up to six months in prison. You didn't shelter in place? Six months in prison. Oh, and by the way, by ordering the closing of the nation's courts, Mr. Netanyahu has delayed his scheduled appearance to face corruption charges. Coincidence! Could be. It's pretty handy, though. Some states are using the pandemic to crack down on dissent. In Jordan, after an emergency defense law gave wide latitude to his office, the prime minister said his government would deal firmly with anyone who spreads rumors, fabrications, and false news that sows panic. Mm. Prime Minister of Thailand has assumed the authority to impose curfews and censor the news media. See, that's interesting. The curfews, the very stuff, and then... Information, yeah, that's what we need to do. Information that could possibly hurt my government. Wait a second, how's yeah, the information might, uh, part? Cause panic. How's the information part just spreading the virus? Just grab a little extra. I just say oh, this, and how about just a little more from me? Journalists there have been sued and intimidated for criticizing the government's response to the outbreak. It is far from clear what will become of the emergency laws when this crisis passes, says the New York Times. In the past, if you've followed history at all. Laws enacted in a rush like the Patriot Act, for instance, that followed September 11th, have outlived the crises they were meant to address. Even in the United States, the Patriot Act was supposed to last for a little while. Turned out there was a bunch of stuff in it that nobody who voted for it knew it existed, and then it just can, it's still in effect. Yeah. Um, uh, Britain, Britain, 
long history of democracy and, you know, openness and all this sort of stuff. Nevertheless, nevertheless, a coronavirus bill that was rushed through Parliament at a breakneck pace, kind of like our $2.3 trillion deal, affords government ministries the power to detain and isolate people indefinitely, ban public gatherings, including protests, and shut down ports and airports, all with little oversight. Mm. Each clause, mm. each clause should have had months of debate, and instead, it's all being debated in a few days," said a lawyer who advises a parliamentary committee on human rights. Everybody's been trying to just read it, let alone properly critique it. It's three hundred and forty pages long. These are eye-watering powers that have not really been imaginable in peacetime in this country ever before, but they passed in a couple of days. My eyes remain clear and dry, Jack. My eyes are not watering, but I tell you this, there ought to be a date-specific end to none this, of these, and then you have to vote to extend it. None of these have sunset provisions. Oh, my. Uh, this oh guy, my this lawyer who looks out for rights, fears that Britain will swing from crisis to crisis, health panic to health panic, and then we'll find that we have lost. We risk easily finding ourselves in a perpetual state of emergency. Again, if you follow history at all, um, uh, Mubarak in Egypt. They were in a state of emergency the entire time he was dictator. Same with there were um, rough times. Same with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. That, that's just that's the thing. Well, if you read 1984 or any of those books, that's what you do. You're always in a state of emergency. Right. Well, and not only that, and uh, folks have said this more eloquently than I'm about to, but power always seeks more power. That is the insatiable hunger that the powerful have. It's universal. And the only opposing force to that is us. We the people. So pose it. Armstrong and Getty.